Hi, it's the January Oregon Poison Center Journal Club. It's January 20th, 2011, a brand new year, and we're going to tackle some new topics. Uh, today's we're talking about the second generation long-acting antipsychotics. It's a bit of a mouthful, but um, there are a couple of newer medications that have been available in the last few years for uh, long-acting um, between two and four weeks use for schizophrenia. And um, at least from an emergency medicine perspective, I, I always wonder why more of these are not um, in wider use. Um, and it turns out there are some variation country by country of how well uh, places utilize these. So I'm going to start off with actually the first article to introduce this, and we'll kind of work our way through a couple of different um, pharmaceutical products that are available. As always, I kind of wanted to lay a little bit of a foundation for where we've been in order to go where we're going. So um, I have an article entitled uh, Treatment of Schizophrenia with Long-Acting Fufenazine, Caloperidol, and Risperidone. And this was actually published not that long ago in 2007, but what it was is the authors uh, did a look back on the current use of those three medications, which were long-acting injectable medications, um, over about four years of Medi-Cal data through the, what is the Medicaid program in California. So basically some background, the long-acting antipsychotic medications are may improve medication adherence in patients who, for a variety of uh, reasons due to their disease state and otherwise, seem to be non-compliant uh, with outpatient oral medications. Um, it guarantees delivery because you give it and you know it's done. You can reliably monitor them. So if they miss one or two oral doses, you may not know that something's happening, but if they don't show up for the next scheduled injective dose, you can uh, go out, call them up, find out why why they weren't able to show up. And they do cite some, um, in, at least in their introduction, some clinical research <coughs> expert opinions sort of uh, from the American Psychiatric Association that uh, these medications can be used for maintenance therapy with patients who have a history of non-adherence. They cite some statistics saying 15% of schizophrenic patients in maintenance antipsychotic therapy are on depot preparations. 29.9% um, or 30% of them had a recent history of non-adherence with current medications. Um, and frequently patients have persistent symptoms or frequently have one or more uh, concurrent, concurrent medicines are often in that category as well. Um, so the three medicines they were looking at is fufenazine decanoate or fufenazine ananthinate. Uh, to make it simple for those of you who don't remember what the fufenazine is, it's perlixin. Um, Haldol uh, decanoate, which is long-acting Haldol, and then long-acting injectable risperidone, or LAR. And the difference is that the first two can be given once a month, and risperidone is a little different pharmacokinetics and need to be given at least, uh, at least every two weeks to keep uh, therapeutic levels. So they went into this database, the California Medi-Cal database, uh, uh, looking at Medi-Cal beneficiaries between the ages of 18 and 64 with at least one inpatient or two outpatient uh, claim submissions for schizophrenia based on ICD-9 codes and who also were prescribed one of these three drugs. Um, and it had to have been in the Medi-Cal program for at least six months before uh, and then after starting it so they can sort of get good statistics on them. And they acknowledge some of the problems that there may have been patients going in and out of the system in those long periods as well. And before they actually got their initial depot IM injection, um, 
they had a look at some of the analysis that uh, the date of the first injection, how long it was continued, whether there was a gap in injections, and a whole bunch of demographic data, age, and um, other comorbidities, um, and then looked at their diagnoses. So basically, that's what they looked at. They also tried to create this score for non-compliance, but I'm not going to go into too much detail on, but they created this medic medication possession ratio to see if they were actually taking we're not taking their oral medications, um, so they're a way of assessing how well they were compliant. Now, one of the small problems with this whole study, as they go into the results section, was while the prolixin and Haldol have been available through all four years of the study, um, long-acting Risperidol really wasn't available until December 2003 to September 2004, so the last nine months of the study. So it's a really relatively unfair comparison because you have four years of data on two drugs and really less than a year of data on what was a newly approved drug and how well it was actually being used and, and the system is a very bad uh, comparison. So a couple of interesting points that had come out. Um, uh, in each of the three groups, about 28% of them had an emergency department visit for acute mental health concerns, about 1% hospital admissions, um, about 15% in the two older drugs at substance abuse disorders compared to 11% of those in the long-acting risperidone. Um, about 17% in the two older drugs had a depressive disorder compared to 24% in the long-acting risperidone group. And basically looking at the overall which drugs were used, about 60% were on Haldol, 35% on Prolixin, and 4%, so not a whole lot, on long-acting risperidone. Um, the uh, prolixin patients were significantly older. Uh, they were more likely to be white race, um, and uh, they all, both the Haldol and long-acting risperidone had fewer mental health visits for treatment uh, beforehand. 90% um, of everybody in every group had received some oral antipsychotic medication with six months in the initial period. Treatment with second-generation oral antipsychotics was relatively the norm at that time in the mid and early 2000s. Uh, the majority of the patients in each group received two or more different oral antipsychotic medications at some point during that first six months before their first injection. It was the order of 64 to 75% between groups. Um, and often they were treated in the oral form of the antipsychotic medication that they ultimately received as a long-acting injection, but they didn't give exact statistics on that. Um, the, interestingly enough, you would think that patients would get into this program and they would just come in once a month and it'd be nice to just keep them on that. But actually fewer than one in ten of patients who are on the depot medications were continued on it really much past the six-month time period. They don't really go into an explanation or speculation why, whether they quit because they were having side effects or they got better in their schizophrenia to the point where they can now accept taking oral medication. But it wasn't something that people were put on an injection and they stayed on it for, for years and years um, afterwards. Obviously, those who were treated with long-acting risperidone got more injections, but they also had the shortest dosing interval, so that makes sense. Um, during the depot treatment, a substantial portion of patients received a whole variety of other medications, including antidepressants, anxiolytics, mood stabilizers, as, as well as other oral antipsychotic uh, medications. And the overall um, mean length of depot treatment um, was greater 
actually in the risperidone group than the older two medications. Um, Follow-up on treatment after 45 days after they received their first dose, more than three-quarters of each group were are receiving oral um, antipsychotic medications, and usually it was the same formulation of the one they were receiving as an injectable. Um, that's pretty much, I think, the main point. So they discussed a couple of things, and some of the, uh, the limitations of the study, of course, is this you know, Risperidol had not been around a little while. And if you really get to the last page and look, the study was supported by a grant from Eli Lilly and Company, who actually makes neither of those three drugs, but another drug that was about to be put on the market as a long-acting drug. So there may be some reason why they published this at the time. Um, you know, but they, current findings, they say the big point of the study was discontinuation of these studies was quite common. After 180 days, only 9.7% of the um, Haldol patients, 5% of the Prolixin patients, and 2% of the Risperidone patients continued to receive the same long-acting injection. So these patients were coming off the long-acting injection. Maybe it was used as sort of an initial stabilization after a period of non-compliance. Um, there were lower rates of continuity between the depot medicine um, than has been reported in prior studies. But they also comment often in these research studies that are done, the subjects are carefully selected, they need to be consented. And so when you look at these other studies that were done in Britain where they were on the medication, 50% of them were continued 